0: guys can turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Some of these summer weeks are fun. I get to wake up on Monday morning with no sermon planned at all, no direction of where I want to head, and just spend some time in the Word. and, And this week, Psalm 103 popped out, so that's what you're getting. That's what the Lord was working in my life, so I'm really glad to be able to be a little spontaneous this week and bring this psalm to you guys. So, As you're turning to Psalm 103, a story is told of a minister who was speaking to a group of men, and he took a a white sheet of paper and a black marker, and he he colored in a black dot just like, like this, and then he lifted it up and he asked the group of men, what do you see? And the men said, well, a black dot. He said, yes, good, okay, what else do you see? And they just sat there quietly like you guys, just sat there and stared at the But the piece of paper didn't have any answer. He said, okay, what else am I holding up? They said nothing. He said, well, that surprises me because you missed the biggest thing I'm holding up, this whole big sheet of paper. All you saw was the little black dot. You missed the whole big white sheet of paper. And he drew home the lesson. That is human nature. We tend to focus on the dark stuff and miss all of the white stuff, all of the good stuff, we tend to focus to fixate on the dark stuff of life. The disappointments, the pain, the suffering, the failures, we fixate on that and we lose sight on the abundance of good things that God has done for us. I'm guilty of that. I was thinking about my week and and realizing that's exactly what I did on Tuesday night. My family, we sat down to dinner. And I'll just admit, I was in a really bad mood. I was in a funk as we sat down to eat this meal. And the reason that I was in a bad mood is I had kind of a disappointing day at work. Long day. I was tired. I hadn't gotten nearly enough done. My sermon was nowhere. I didn't know we'd be in Psalm 103 today. And it was Tuesday afternoon, and that's getting a little scary for me. And so I'm stressed out about that. And I come home, and my kids are fussier than normal. They've only been out of school for two weeks, and already they are going crazy and so I'm sitting there eating my meal, just fixating on my disappointments, just stewing on all the things that are making me upset. And then all of a sudden, God got my attention. God got my attention. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think that it was a a moment of of remembrance about a number of families we've been praying for over the last few weeks whose kids have been really, really sick. Something brought this thought to my mind. I just realized all of a sudden what an incredibly ungrateful jerk I was being. Here I am in my nice, beautiful, air-conditioned home eating a warm home-cooked meal next to my godly wife, across from my healthy kids, having come home from a job I really like that pays all of my bills and all I can do is complain. Really? That's all I can do? Why was I being an ungrateful jerk? Because I was choosing to focus on the little disappointments of life and lose sight of the abundance of blessings With which God had bestowed upon me. Now I know I'm not alone in that. We all tend to do that. It is human nature for us to make far too much of our disappointments and far too little of our blessings. That's what we all tend to do. And so God, in His grace, has given us passages like Psalm 103 that are meant to give us some perspective. They're meant to break our eyes away from the disappointments of life to see the abundance of God's blessings to us. That's what Psalm 103 was designed to do. It was written by a guy named David. King David wrote this psalm, and he wrote it to be a public hymn or song of praise. This is a pretty cool psalm. What they would do, the Israelites were commanded to regularly go to the temple at appointed times of the year to give thanks offerings to God. So they would arrive at the temple and the first thing that would happen is they're all waiting in line to give their thanks offering is a Levite would stand up in the middle of the congregation and he would sing Psalm 103. He would sing this hymn of praise to break the Israelites eyes off of their little disappointments and remind them of God's great blessings in their lives. My prayer for us this morning is that's what God will do for us through Psalm 103, that he will help us to stop fixating on the dark stuff, on the disappointments of life, and instead see the abundance of good that he has bestowed upon us. So that's why we're looking at Psalm 103. But I'll confess to you guys, I have an ulterior motive in looking at Psalm 103 today. I I want you to learn Psalm 103. But more importantly than that, what I really want to do this morning, the most important thing, is I want to teach you how to study a psalm. I want you guys to know how to study any particular chapter of the book of Psalms. I, I really believe that one of the greatest gifts that I can give to you is a simple, easy method for studying a Psalm. And the reason is, is because over the course of my life, I have found that consistently, time and time again, my best quiet times are the ones I spend in the book of Psalms. There's nothing like a Psalm to draw me closer to the Lord, to deepen my love for Him. Now, I'll be honest, that is a surprise for me to say that. You know, the Psalms are kind of full of songs and poems and and emotions, and I am not the most emotional man, not really into poetry. That whole point in seventh grade where you have to write a poem, I still remember how painful that was for me. Math, science, no worries. I'm really at home in a textbook. I'm an analytical guy, but a poem expressing yourself, your emotions, your feelings doesn't come natural to me. And so I never thought that the Psalms would be that useful to me. Paul, that's where I belong. But now over the years, as I have walked with the Lord, I've found time and time again, it's the Psalms that grab hold of me. And here's why. As much as engineers like me would like to deny it, God created us to be both intellectual and emotional creatures. I have emotions. They're more subdued than the average person, but they're still there. And the best way for me to grow as a follower of Christ is to engage both my mind and my heart. And that's the beauty of the Psalms. They grab your mind and they grab your heart. They grab your intellect and they grab your emotions and they lead you to worship God. They grow you in your relationship with God. There's nothing like the book of Psalms. Really, this summer, if you want to grow in your worship and love of God, spend this summer in the Psalms. Each day, grab a psalm, read through it, learn how to love God better. So this morning, my my main event, the main goal I have is to teach you guys a simple method for studying the psalms, for getting more out of a psalm. So this method, let's jump right in. It's really easy, uh, very easy to remember, very easy to practice. First thing that I want you guys to do, whenever you open your Bible and you're going to read a psalm, the first thing that you do is you pray. You pray for insight. The Psalms, even though it is a song, it is a song that was written ultimately by God. It's God's word. So you pray for insight. You pray that God will give you the ability to understand. The Psalms are full of a lot of figurative language and metaphors that can be tricky to figure out. So pray that God would give you insight. Also pray that God would give you humility. When you approach the Psalms, you need God-given humility, a soft heart that's willing to be convicted and instructed and rebuked by God's word. So pray for insight and humility. Now, we've already done that. So we've got that covered this morning. Second thing that you do after praying for insight and humility, you read it. And you read it all at once. And and we tend not to do this. In our Bibles, the Psalms are divided up into numbered verses. But they weren't originally. That came millennia after the Psalms were written. Originally, they were, no, not divided up at all. They were simply songs, songs that the Israelites would sing to one another. Now, when you listen to a song on the radio or on your iPad, how do you listen to it? Do you listen to one line and then hit pause and try to figure it out? No, no, you listen to the whole thing. You experience the song as a whole. That's how the Psalms were designed. You read the whole thing at once whole thing like a song. You just experience it and feel it and try to get a sense of the whole thing. So read it all the way through at once. That's what we're going to do right now. I know this is a little bit of a long one, but we're going to read it all the way through. I'm going to read it to you. As I read, I just ask you to follow along. Don't get caught up in the details. Just experience. Just feel it. Just imagine that you are an Israelite, you're at the temple, you're about to go in and give your thank offering to God, and a Levite stands up and reads this psalm to you. Just experience it. Just feel it. Here we go. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, he is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as the flower of the field he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you who serve Him, doing His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So you read all the way through it, all the way through at once, just feeling it and experiencing, it and trying to get a sense for the big picture. And then after you have prayed and after you have read all the way through it, then you're going to ask yourself four questions. Same four questions that you'll ask with any psalm that you're reading. I'm going to walk you through these four questions, but I'll do it in Psalm 103 so you can see how these work. Okay, so the first question you always ask yourself when you're reading a psalm is, what's the big idea? What's what's the main thing that the author, that David, is trying to communicate to me in this psalm? What is it that motivated him to write? What's the primary idea that he's trying to get across to us? Now, often in the Psalms, you will find the big idea by looking for repeated words. That's how Hebrew poetry works. If you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. It might use the exact same word or phrase. Psalm 103 does that a lot. Or it might use a synonym, a similar word or similar phrase. So look for repeated statements or words or ideas. Now, in Psalm 103, what do you see repeated? Often. Actually, right at the beginning and right at the end. This is a really cool psalm. It's easy to find the big idea because notice the first line and the last line. Bless the Lord, O my soul. When something begins and ends with the same line, that's usually an indicator. This is the big idea. Pay attention to this. This is what I want you to get. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That is the big idea. Bless the Lord is repeated six times. Twice at the beginning, four times at the end. It is the dominant theme of the whole psalm. So we need to talk about this. What does it mean to bless the Lord? That that word bless, when we usually hear that word bless, we usually, whether we're thinking about it or not, we make God the subject of it. So God bless me. God bless you when you sneeze. God bless my home. God bless my family. God bless America. That's usually how we think about the word. God is a subject. We are the recipients. Blessing is something good we receive from God. But interestingly, in Hebrew, the word can work in reverse. Reverse. Instead of God being the subject, God is the object. That's the case here in Psalm 103. It's not about God blessing us. It's about us blessing God. And when it's used that way, when God is the object instead of the subject, then it always means give thanks. What does it mean when we bless God? It means we give him thanks for blessings that he's given us. So he blessed us with good things. We return the favor by blessing him, by giving thanks You see that in Psalm 100, verse four. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Notice all the parallelism there. To bless is the same as give thanks, as praise, as thanksgiving. To bless the Lord means to give him thanks for good things that he has given you. To be grateful, to express your gratefulness to God. That's the idea that you see in Deuteronomy 8 when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord, your God, for the good land which he has given you. So God gives you food, and what do you do? That's that's God's blessing. God blesses you with food, and what do you do in return? You bless God with thanksgiving. It's cool how the word can work both ways. First, it's of God. God blesses you first, and then you return the favor by giving him thanks. That's what it means to bless the Lord. And David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. When he says, O my soul, there we we kind of get all spiritual with that. Soul in Hebrew just means you. It's me. My soul is me. What David is saying, he's kind of psyching himself up in, in this passage, is what he's doing. It'd be like me saying, Okay, Blake, come on. It's time to give thanks. Come on, Blake. Give thanks for all God has done. That's what David is saying here. He's saying, Come on, David, it's time to give God thanks. It's time to stop in the busyness of life and take a moment and choose to give thanks to God. When you look at it, bless the Lord, oh my soul, by including that oh my soul at the end, what David is is telling us is this isn't about an emotion or a feeling. David isn't just overflowing in gratitude to God. No, this is a choice. He's having to tell himself, David, stop, stop all of your busyness and choose right now to give thanks to God. That's what this psalm is about, a choice to stop and give thanks to God. To give thanks to God for all of his benefits. There at the end of verse 2, forget none of his benefits. That word benefits, a great word. It means, basically, it's it's talking about blessings, any blessings that God has given. Forget none of the blessings God has given you. Forget none of the good things God has given you. You can think about this word, um, like in English, a, a benefits package. That'd be the closest equivalent. You go work somewhere and they offer you a benefits package that includes all these great things that you really want to have. And what David is saying is forget none of the things in the benefits package that God has given you as his child. You're a member of God's family. So take a moment, stop and think through all of the benefits that have come to you as a child of God. So the big idea of this psalm, when David says, bless the Lord, what he's saying is we need to choose to stop and thank God for everything he has given us. Take a moment to stop and thank God for everything he's given us. That's the big idea. So the first question that you ask and answer is what's the big idea of this psalm? Second question that you ask yourself, what does the psalm reveal about me? What does this psalm teach us about us as human beings? What does it reveal to us about ourselves? Sometimes it will be good stuff. Sometimes it will be bad stuff. You can probably guess in the Bible which is going to be more. (laughs) It's mostly bad stuff in the Psalms. You learn a lot of things about your need. that's true of Psalm 103. It's full of, of bad news about us. Two things in particular, two sad realities that Psalm 103 teaches us or reveals about us. I don't know if you noticed these as we went through. The first thing the Psalm reveals about us is that we are frail and forgettable. We are frail and forgettable. Verse three, it talked about how sick we are, how prone to disease we are. Even in our medically advanced society, we still get sick, we get colds, we get the flu, we get more serious things like diabetes and heart disease and cancer. We are frail. We are are prone to sickness. And even worse than that, as bad as it is to get sick, we are prone to death. We will all at some point die. That's the point that David is getting at in verses 14 to 16. Look at those again. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. Dust. The idea is it's here today, but then the wind comes along and it blows it away. In in no time at all, it is scattered to the wind. It is gone. It is gone. Keep going. Verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. He is comparing us here to to grass or to wildflowers. And and what's the point? This is figurative language. So what is he getting at? He's getting at how short-lived wildflowers are. We're in the season where wildflowers are kind of in their last good days. Had some rain. They're going to be good for just a, just a couple more weeks. They're really only good for a few months around here. You get maybe April and May and June. They look beautiful. They're glorious. But then what happens? July gets crazy hot. The wind starts to blow. It gets dry. We enter into drought conditions. And those wildflowers, they begin to wilt. They begin to wither. And they dry. And then they die. And in the end of verse 16, the really sad reality, not only do they die, but they fade away so that there is no memory of them. They're totally gone. You can't find them anymore. They've completely disappeared by September. What's the point to us? What David is saying about us is that we will die at some point. We will die. And then not not long after, we will be forgotten. It's a sad reality in verse 16. Not only will you die, but sometime after that, you'll be forgotten by the human race. That was brought home to me. My uncle has been spending a lot of time tracing our genealogy for the Jennings and McCorder clans, which I come from. Uh, And it's a fun exercise to kind of see what he's doing. Um, He's finding all of these relatives that are in my past. And it's interesting, though, to look at these relatives that he's finding and to see all that we know about some of these people is their name. And maybe when they died, that's it. That's all we know about these people. And, and you look through records, you talk to there's nothing more known about them. I know my grandparents pretty well, even though they passed away. I know a tiny little bit about my great-grandparents, but I know nothing about anyone beyond that, other than maybe their name and when they died. That's the reality of humanity. You will die, and then a generation or two later, you will be forgotten by the human race. That's the reality for all of us. We are frail and forgettable, we will fade away, we are short-lived, we will not last. That's bad news, that's very sad, but it's not as sad as the second thing that the psalm reveals about us. Not only are we frail and forgettable, but we are sinful. Psalm talks about our sin four different times. It uses synonyms, so repeats the same idea with similar words. In verse 10, it uses the word sin. Sin in Hebrew, it's, it was a term often used in archery, so you got a target and you take your bow back, you shoot your arrow and the arrow falls short. It misses the target. That's the idea of sin in Hebrew. You've missed the mark. God told you what was right, what was good, and you missed the mark. You fell short of it. Twice, it uses the synonym... Iniquities in verse 3 and 10. Iniquities, it, it's, it literally in Hebrew, it means to twist or, or bend something or pervert something. The idea is you, you twist off of the good way. You were you headed in the good way and you deviate from that and head into sin. And then final synonym in that it uses, transgressions in verse 12. That word literally means rebellion. So you knew what was right and you said, no, no, I, I don't want that God. All four words, or all three words, all four instances are talking about the same idea. It's talking about the reality that I do bad things. I do bad things, and I know they're bad. God has been really clear with me. He's told me in his word, this is what is right, and this is what is wrong. And to my shame, I often choose the wrong. I choose wrong thoughts, I choose wrong words, I choose wrong actions. That is sin, transgression, iniquity. The reality is I am a frail, weak sinner. I will be consumed by death. I am run over by sins. It's bad news about me. The the summary of this, the big idea that David wants to get across to us is my need is great. I am incredibly in need. If I am left on my own to my own devices, then my life is going to be nothing but tragedy, full of sin and sickness that ends in death and is forgotten my need is great. That's the takeaway from the second question. What does the psalm teach us about ourselves? We are greatly in need. Now you ask a third question. Fortunately, it it didn't end there. That's not the end of the exercise of of studying Psalm 103. After you ask, answer the question, what does the psalm reveal about me? You, You ask and answer the question, what does the psalm reveal about God? Every psalm will have something to tell you, to teach you about God. It may reveal his character, his attributes, that is who he is. It may reveal some things that God has done in history, in the past. It may talk about how God feels about you or what God does for you. Every psalm will reveal something about God. So what does Psalm 103 reveal to us about God? Well, what it reveals, kind of the summary, having read through it, is that as great as my need is, God is greater. God is greater than all of my needs. God is greater than all of my sin, all of my weaknesses. He is greater than everything I face. He is greater in grace and he is greater in power. Those are the two things that the psalm is focusing on, the greatness of God's grace and the greatness of God's power. So let's look at each of those. Let's think about them. Begins with God's greatness in grace. Now, grace, what does that word mean? Very simply, grace is when you get something good you didn't deserve. So it's an unmerited blessing. When God does something good for you and you didn't deserve it, that is grace. And David wants us to understand God has given us an incredible amount of grace. What what in particular, though? What particularly has God given you that is grace? Well, David mentions a few things in particular. You see them repeated often. Loving kindness. Four times David mentions loving kindness. Anytime you see a word repeated in a psalm, it's worth underlining, noting. He wants to drill this into our heads that God gives us grace by giving us his loving kindness. A loving kindness, that's a significant word in the Old Testament. It means loyal love. Loyal love is a easy. Anytime you see loving kindness, just translate in your mind. It's loyal love. It means God has chosen to love you loyally or faithfully. And David says a number of things about God's loyal love. Look with me in verse eleven. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, how high are the heavens above the earth? Well, they're, they're infinitely high above the earth. If you think about what's above the earth, well, it's, it's space, it's the universe forever and ever. God's loving kindness is boundless, is the point. Your sin may be great. You may commit some crazy, horrible, awful sin, really high amount of sin. But David's point is God's love is still greater because it's boundless. It towers above any sin we will ever commit. God's love for you is boundless. That is, God's love for you is infinite. That's the point. There is no limit. You cannot exceed God's love for you. It's not like God has a a basket of love for you. This is your basket of love. And when you exhaust it, man, then you're on the wrath side. It's too bad for you. No, God's love is boundless. It is limitless. It is infinite for you. That's the point of of verse 11. Look at verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. God's love for you, his loyal love for you is from everlasting to everlasting. And here's what David is trying to say to you. What he's saying is that God has always loved you. You personally, not us as a group, you personally, by name, God has always loved it wasn't like you were born and you're a baby in, the main, in, in, a little, in a little basket and God looks down and says, I choose to love that little baby. No, God chose to love you before time began. In eternity past, God chose you as an object of his infinite loyal love. And Remember, this is God we're talking about, the God who knows everything. So he already knew you back then. He looked at your life, all the good things you would do and all the bad things from day one to the end of your life. He saw all the sin you would commit, even sins you don't know about yet. He saw it all and chose on that day in eternity past to love you individually, personally, by name, infinitely forever. That's why God's love is not gonna be diminished for you tomorrow if you sin. If you do something outrageously bad tomorrow, we tend to think of God as if he was a a human being like us. You do something really bad and you think, oh man, God must really be caught off guard by that. Man, now maybe he won't love me because I've shocked him with, it's God. God knew you were gonna do that. He knew you were gonna do that from eternity past and yet still he chose you. He chose to love you loyally, infinitely, forever. There's nothing you can ever do that will surprise God. He already knew it. He chose you in eternity past. That, by the way, is the beauty of the doctrine of election that doctrine that tends to freak us out and get us all worried about election and predestination. Don't worry about it. Just believe it and know that's why you have hope and peace because God chose you by name in eternity past, knowing all the bad junk you would do. He chose you. He chose to love you infinitely forever, without end, from everlasting to everlasting, not just in eternity past, but into eternity future. God will always love you by name infinitely. That's the first thing God has given you in grace. He has chosen you to be an object of his unconditional, unchanging, never-ending love. So loving kindness, loyal love, repeated four times. Another word repeated four times, compassion. God chose to make you an object of his compassion. In Hebrew, we talked about this a few weeks ago in the, in the Gideon series, compassion, it's from the same root word in Hebrew as a woman's womb. And so the word literally it means womb love, the love that a, a new mother has for her baby. Uh, what David is telling us is that God loves us like a new mother loves her infant child. Now, I'll give you an illustration of this. Um, when my kids were born, Gracie and Luke, Gracie had colic for the first three months of her life. Um, and for those of you who've not had kids yet, colic is not fun. Colic is, is pretty awful. Colic is very painful. There is lots of crying. There's lots of fussing. And so what Julie found is that there was one thing that would soothe Gracie in the hours and hours in which she endured colic. And that was to wear her. Literally, Julie would strap Gracie to her chest. We had this cool wrap, and you go round and around, wrap her to her chest. But it wasn't enough for Gracie just to be pressed up against her mom's chest. She had to move up and down. Not little jiggly movements. That would have been nice. No, big movements. And so Julie would literally do lunges all around the house all day long, lunges after lunges after lunges, because that's the only thing that would soothe Gracie. If there was an inf- like an Olympic sport of caring for a, co- for a colicky baby, Julie would have the gold. She was incredibly in shape doing lunges all around the house all day long because there was nothing that Julie wouldn't do to care for her baby daughter. That's the kind of love that God has for you. He'll do lunges all around the house if that's what it takes. That's what it means that he has compassion for you. He chooses to love you like a mother loves her newborn baby. That's the second thing he gives us in grace. His loving kindness, his compassion, and third, his forgiveness. The psalm has a lot to say about God's forgiveness. Look at verse 3. Who pardons all your iniquities. You've done these sins, but he pardons them. All of them, not some of them. All of them, past, present, and future. Big sins, small sins. All of them God pardons. Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. We deserved his punishment. We deserved his wrath. He doesn't give us that. Instead, my favorite verse of the whole psalm, this is the one I would circle, verse 12. This one's worth uh, memorizing. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let me ask you, you engineers in particular, how far is it from east to west? Let's say you hop in a plane, and you start flying west. Will you ever reach a point from which it is not possible to go any further west? No, you never will. We live on a globe. You you can always go further west around this globe. That's the point. The distance between east and west is infinite. If God sends your sins to the west and you to the east, you will never reach a point at which you stop. The distance between you and your sins is infinite and ever-growing point that that David is making. God didn't take your sins and put them in the next room. You know, over there in the cry room, they're all sitting in there. And if you have a really bad day and you're a jerk, they might leak back in. No, that's not how it works. God took your sins and removed them from you an infinite distance. They are never coming back. That is the extent of God's forgiveness to us. He has completely forgotten our sins, not just the small ones, the big ones too, not just the past ones, the future ones as well. All of our sins are completely forgiven by God. God's grace is without limit. That's what David wants us to understand. His gift of grace to us is without limit. His loyal love, his motherly compassion and his absolute forgiveness is without bound. Without limit, it is infinite for you. God's grace is great. That's the first thing David teaches us about God. The second thing is God's power is great. His power, his strength, his might is great. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. This God who has chosen to love you is infinite in power. He is the almighty ruler of heaven and earth. The entire universe bows before him. All of creation, from from planets to stars, animals, humans, even angels, the most powerful creatures out there, all of us are subject to God. He rules absolutely over all things, which means he rules absolutely over your life and your death. David had a lot to say about the bad news that you are going to one day die and be forgotten by the human race but you know what that's okay you'll be forgotten by the human race but you won't be forgotten by god and in his infinite power he will overturn your death and you will live forever that's the great news of the infinite power of god all the things that we fear sickness uh, sickness uh, economic depravity death all of these things that we fear god is infinitely powerful to overcome none of them are a challenge for god his power is absolute So the almighty, infinite God of heaven and earth has chosen freely to love you. And as a result, even though our need is great, we have nothing to fear because God is greater than all our need. God has taken care of us. He will always take care of us. And so having answered the third question, what does this psalm reveal to us about God? His greatness of grace, his greatness of power towards us. The fourth question you ask of any psalm is, how should I respond? Now that I have learned all of these things about myself and about God, what do I do with it? How do I respond to these truths? How do I put them in practice? How do I apply them to my daily life? How should they affect my relationship with God, my work, my family, me? How should they affect me? I think as we read Psalm 103, David reveals three responses to us. Three things for us to do with this incredible truth that he's revealed to us. The first thing is, we need to believe it. Got to believe it. David says some pretty magnificent things about God in this chapter. But if you don't believe it, then it's never going to be anything more than empty words for you. It will be meaningless to you if you don't believe it. Because David wants us to understand, God's grace is always received through faith you got to believe it for it to be true for you, for it to affect you. You have to receive it in faith. You have to say, yes, that is my God. That is the God I know. That is the God who loves me. You need to believe these incredible things about God. Now, for us, we know a lot more than David did about God's grace. That's a great thing. Even though David is teaching us, there's a lot that we could teach him because we know that God's infinite grace would come to us at the cost of his son that his own beloved son would have to die on the cross to make Psalm 103 true. David didn't know that. He knew that God's grace to us was outrageous. He did not know how outrageous. He didn't know how costly it would be to God, that God would have to send his own son to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. So for this blessed truth of this Psalm to be true for you, you have to receive it in faith. You have to say, God, I I do believe that your son did die for me, that you love me. The moment that you pray that prayer, the moment that you believe that truth, then it is true for you. You are beloved by God forever. The first response is you got to believe it. Otherwise, it's just empty words. You got to believe that it's true. Second, give God thanks. That's the main idea of the psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Make a choice to stop in the busyness of your life and give thanks to God rehearse to god all the things you are thankful for as i was setting this psalm there was something that really stood out to me and convicted me it was something that was missing in this psalm something that you won't find in all 22 verses there's something you will never find in psalm 103 a request david doesn't ask for anything not one thing from god nothing at all no request at all. It is just 22 verses of saying thanks to God. And I, and I noticed that I observed that and I reflected on it. when was the last time that I sat down with God and spent time in prayer and didn't ask for anything? I hardly ever do that. When did I stop and just spend concerted time with God listing off all the things that I have to be thankful for? I challenge you to take some time this week. Maybe 10 minutes one morning and spend time in prayer with God and don't let yourself ask for anything. 10 minutes with God and all you do is say thanks. Just list off all the things you are grateful for to God. Now, that's hard for us. We're used to asking God for things. That's what we do as individuals, as a nation. We sing it, God bless America. That's a popular song. But how often do we stop and flip that around? America, bless God. America, take a minute and reflect on the fact we are blessed, incredibly blessed. We're always asking God to do things for us and we're forgetting how often God is doing things for us. He's given us incredible freedom. You're here at church and you will probably not lose your job because of that. Do you know how many of our brothers and sisters in Christ would kill for that kind of freedom? To be able to worship God freely? You have health, you're not worried about your day-to-day survival. You can follow God's call. Wherever he leads you, you can go. We are so blessed. So let's take some time and stop. And instead of asking God for something else, let's just give thanks. Ten minutes of nothing but gratitude to God. He deserves it. He's been so good to us. So take time this week to give God thanks. Third response that David brings to our attention is the need to reverently obey god you may have noticed as we went through multiple times david qualifies a a, a statement about god with the phrase to those who fear you to those who fear god these promises are meant to inspire within us a fear of god what does that mean what does it mean to fear god well it doesn't mean to to cower in terror of god as if you're afraid God is about to smite you. That's not what fear means here. Fear here means reverence. It means awe. This psalm is designed to put us on our knees in awe of God, to live in respect of God. This God who is infinite, who is powerful, who is sovereign, who has chosen freely to, live, to love us, we should bow in reverence and awe before him. And that reverence should be expressed in obedience. Look with me at verse 18. Verse 18, David says to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. David was reminding us, God wants you to express fear. He wants you to express your awe of him by reverently obeying him, keeping his covenant for them in the Old Testament was keeping the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. Now, we're not under the Ten Commandments. We're under the commands of Jesus. So for us, we express our reverence to God by obeying the commands of Jesus. Now, why did David include verse 18? This psalm is not about obedience. It's about gratitude. So why include this one little verse about obedience? Because David wanted us to understand gratitude and obedience go hand in hand. In the Christian life, gratitude towards God and obedience to God go hand in hand. If you say, God, I am thankful for this thing that you did for me, and then you go out and sin, well, your sin invalidates your words. You really weren't grateful for what God did for you, because then you chose to go out and sin. And and by sinning, what you are really saying is that you don't value what God has done for you. you. You do not value God's grace. You do not respect God's power because you went out and did this sin. When we sin, we invalidate our gratitude. Gratitude and obedience go hand in hand. If we want to be grateful, if we want to express gratitude to God, we must reverently obey God. Now here's the good news, really good news that I have found proven true over and over again in my life. If I will practice gratitude, it will empower obedience. Beautiful thing that God wired into you into the neurons of your brain, when you practice gratitude, when you say thanks to God, you know what it does to temptation? It suffocates it. Temptation to sin grows weak when you practice gratitude to God. When you practice gratitude, actually, your your desire to obey grows. The more you express your gratefulness to God, the more you think, man, this is the guy I want to follow. I want to obey this God who has done so much to me and for me. So practice gratitude And it will help you obey. That's the great news of Psalm 103. As David links gratitude and obedience. To express gratitude to God, you must obey. But the more you express gratitude, the more you will want to obey. Okay, so Psalm 103, what is it about? It's about God's greatness. It's about the greatness of his grace to us. And the greatness of his power for us. It's about the fact that though we are incredibly needy, though our need is great, our God is greater. He has chosen to love each of us individually before time began, to love us like a mother loves her newborn baby, to love us so much that he sent his own son to die for us so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins and spend eternity with him. That's the good news of Psalm 103. What I would challenge you to do this week, while the psalm is fresh on your mind, while our study of it is fresh on your mind, I want to challenge you to take one morning this week and spend it in a psalm. Now, we've studied Psalm 103 together. Pick another one. I'll, I'll give you hints, Psalm 104 to 106. The next few psalms are a great choice. All of them are psalms of thanksgiving. They're all about gratitude. So take some time this week. Choose a psalm on one morning or one evening of this week. Pray for God to give you humility and insight. Read the psalm the whole way through and then ask these four questions. What's the big idea? What does this psalm reveal about me? What does it reveal about God? And how does God want me to respond? Ask yourself those questions. As you spend time in the Psalms, it will grow your gratitude. It will help you to be appreciative. It will help you to see the whole page and not just the black dot of your life. Let's give the Lord thanks. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the freedom that we have to sit here and study your word. Thank you for the freedom that we have to gather together and sing praises to you without fear of intimidation or persecution of arrest or death. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for the freedom that we have. Thank you for the resource that we have, that we have your word in our own language, that we can understand it, that we can hear from you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for giving us your spirit who lives inside of us and opens our eyes to understand you and to, and to love you. Thank you for how he fills us with your fruit and blesses us. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who died for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be here this morning and praise you. Thank you that we will spend eternity with you. Thank you that as as wonderful as it is to celebrate your grace right now, how much greater will it be when when we are with you, when we see you in all your glory and all your power and see your infinite love for us. Thank you that that's the hope that we get to look forward to one day we'll be with you singing Psalm 103 to you face to face. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. You are so worthy of our lives. You are so worthy of our praise. We give you thanks all in the name of your worthy son, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Live a grateful week.